was really, really good. All right, here we go, gents. Episode what, Casey? 100. I think it might be 101. 101. Either way, you are either watching or listening to MLO. This is your boy, Addy Nett. I've got my main man here, Casey Carpenter. How are you today, buddy? I'm great. How are you? Good. You know, I forgot the last few times, too. Casey's a veteran. Thank you for your service. Appreciate it. All my vets out there. You know it. Mm -hmm. We love the insight you bring. Yeah. A little military background. Humor. Humor. That's like the third bullet of that. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, we got Scott. Kurahara, how are you, buddy? Good, brother. How you doing? All right, what are we talking about today, boys? Uh, episode 100, 101, one of those. Dalmatian, Club DeVille. Mm-hmm. We're talking about how to buy without selling. Underline the without. without. Without selling. You have a property, you're trying to buy, this is how you do it without selling. Mm-hmm. This is really big, folks, because, and I can't believe I just seized the word folks, but folks. I did. Folks. Old timers. It was really big. Here's the thing. Everyone right now that is in the game wanting to buy doesn't really want to sell their property because they can't really get top dollar. So basics of the game of real estate. You sell when it's a seller's market. You buy when it's a buyer's market, right? Yeah, yeah, that's just straight up. If you haven't heard that one, welcome to the party. (laughs) But here's the thing. We're going to go over a couple key buckets on how to get this done because there are some layers to it, right, Sot? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Zot. Many- <laughs> <It's called laughs> Zot. Sorry, Scott. It's good candy. Um, yeah, there's there's many different ways that you can do it. You know, we're gonna touch on on a few of these throughout the episode. But um, I guess, do you want to talk about the HELOC first? Did just swing it right back to me? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Right back. We're pitching it back a little, and forth. Yeah, yeah. A little, yeah, that was a, a short hand. You know, pitch. we look at a couple of things because clients do reach out to us a lot. You know, the question is contingency. If you can't get top dollar. You know, what do you do? What do you do? Um, you can look at a couple buckets, but really at the end of the day, it's down payment. We're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get you in with a down payment? How do we get that money? How do we get that money? And there's a few different options we're going to go over, but one could be a HELOC on a, on your current property. So that is a line of credit that you're going to use to access that equity. Uh, the other option we're going to talk about, it could be gift funds. And the third could be retirement or portfolio access. And we'll go into the layers of that. Yeah, so we, I love that. How to get that money is a main primary bucket. That's the number one thing people are reaching out. How do I even get this down payment? I don't want to sell. I ain't got no money. I got but some I got savings. A house. I don't want to bleed it all. I've gained so much value, yeah. right? What are my options there? So the other bucket would be income. A lot of the times people don't make enough money to just straight up go buy another home without doing some creative structuring or think a few ro- a few steps down the road, right, Scott? Yep. So we've got the cash, the income. Finally, we're going to talk about cash flowing, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, stay on the edge of your seats there. <laughs> That's our mystery bucket. But going back to Casey's nice intro, the cash part, the down payment. Let's chat about HELOC because you might or might not even know what that means. Right. So, what does that even stand for? Explain to the people. HELOC is a home equity line of credit. You just nailed that. Very clear. Nailed it. Yeah, clear. Yep. What it is, it's a line of credit that you're going to put on the home to access a portion of that equity. Um, Typically, they're not gonna go up above 80% loan to value, but let's just say in the last couple of years, we've had a great run, like Addy said, in equity. So most people are sitting on a decent chunk where they can use that line of credit to access that money, and now they can use it for another purchase. Yeah, and so a lot of people call it a line of credit, a HELOC. I just call them a second. I think it's really easy to call it 
a second. Because Why is it a second? Because your first one is the original one. It's the primary large lump sum, and then the secondary is behind that. Mm -hmm. And it acts a little bit more like a credit card where they're going to give you a certain limit, right? You can pull all of that, some of that, none of that, but there are annual fees to it. There are caps to how much that line of credit is going to be allowed. And that's basically off an evaluation of the appraised value or the most recent sales price. And what Casey was saying there with, there's a lot of caps of like ADLTV, which is 80% loan to value ratio, or you put 20% down, which most buyers are gonna know that, right? Yep. So there are different options that push that limit that allow you to take like 90% of that value. But remember everybody, most of the time, unless you get a brand new appraisal, they're gonna use the purchase price of the home or the most recent appraised value if you refinanced. So people that are putting low down payment just bought their home like a year ago. Yeah. Oh, I went first time home buyer, mm-hmm. I put 3% down. You only have 3% equity position. You're, you're not gonna get a home equity line of credit. But someone that maybe saw this massive jump, they bought in 16, 17, 18, maybe even 19 or 20, whatever it might be. Yep. You've got a quarter million equity position. We can actually extract those funds and use that to purchase a new home. Yes. I like, Absolutely. The, I like the credit card analogy though. It's perfect. Dude. It is. People don't without credit card interest rates. Yeah, without credit card interest rates, but a good part for people to know is on that payment that you're making, the HELOC, there is a variable part of that payment. So as feds decide to raise or lower interest rates, it, it could you know affect your your interest rate on that HELOC. But with Addy saying too, like you have you have the choice. You might just put the line line of credit on your home to have it. You don't necessarily have to pull the funds out. There's mm-hmm. no requirement for you to pull the funds out, but you can to right. use it to your advantage to buy another home. Well, and I was actually having a conversation with one of my clients. We're doing this exact situation, right? They have a home in California. They bought it about three years ago. Great equity position, right? We could extract quite a bit of funds, anywhere between a hundred to 200,000, right? And they're going to buy a new primary. We're gonna structure this home equity line of credit. And what I was telling them is like, okay, yes, you do have another payment on that second mortgage. However, you're going to have renters in this house helping kind of recoup that first and second mortgage payment. And look, you're still breaking even. Oh, well, I want to cash flow. Everyone gets their minds like, I have to cash flow. I have to cash flow. Well, you got to understand at some point, it's probably just going to be a break even when rates are a little bit higher. But guess what's always going to gradually increase? The rents. Yep. And if you're using any sort of cash flow, positive gains over what the rent and the cost is for that property, you can take that excess and add it to more of the principal in the home equity line of credit. So that will quickly pay off. And guess what? Say you have a repair. Mm -hmm. You can still tap into that line of credit to finance the repairs. So it's a great lever tool to access if you need once you start building out multiple properties. And I like to like, if you have the renters in there and you're able to actually be you know cash flow and let's just say a little bit and you're on those HELOCs what people don't understand is a lot of time they are structured as a 10-year interest only repayment period meaning for the it's a 30-year loan but for the first 10 years where you can withdraw funds from it um, or or not or pay them back and that's your that's your period to access the HELOC for 10 years and then it's closed out and you're actually paying that off amortized you know for the next 20 years but the first 10 years is interest only Right. That's it. So. There's a lot of different. I'm glad you brought that up because 
There are a lot of different ways to structure the financing on a second. Oh, yeah. The fully amortized 30 year, which is similar to what you have on your primary first, you can do the interest only of what you're saying, something in the middle, but there's different interest rates. Usually the longer repayment period, the higher the interest rate. So those are things that we run as mortgage originators every day. We're running these different analysis and trying to find the, the sweet spot. The most recent thing I chalked up was a $200,000 home, home equity line of credit or HELOC at 6%. You're looking at about $1,200 a month for a fully three decade repayment. Yep. So, oh wow, I got 200,000, yeah, $1,200 a month. Maybe I only need a hundred at six. Right? Oh, I'll do 100 at six. That's comfortable. Then we start looking to work our magic there, right? Yep. Scott, anything to add before we kind of, I want to keep moving through the bullet. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I will quickly add the one thing about HELOCs is, is when I got calls when the rates were lower, you know, right. people who wanted to do cash outs, it's a lot cheaper to do a HELOC than it is to do a cash out refinance. The fees? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, fees, yeah. Good point. Good specifically. Point. So it's yeah. like if you're trying to get, you know, 20, 40, 60 grand, you're in those those lower kind of numbers. A HELOC makes a lot more sense than a cash out does, especially now because rates are so much higher. That's such a good point because there's a lot of people watching and listening to this that are sitting at like two and a half, three, three and a half on their primary first mortgage. Yeah, don't touch it. <laughs> Keep that rate. Yeah. 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 Guys, we'll have that point. Well, no. I'm glad that you brought it up. <clears throat> I want to move to another option that not a lot of people think about mm -hmm. is retirement and portfolio accounts and this is a touchy a touchy subject yes. because a lot of people are seeing really negative returns and obviously we're not like financial advisors we're mortgage advisors but we feel the pain too we see those accounts hurting and you might be like hey well instead of me maxing out my retirement every year i have a rollover sitting here that's not vested or i want to use this money to become a homeowner or buy another home right mm -hmm. maybe we look to withdrawing those funds or even taking a loan out on those, yeah. right, Scott? What Absolutely. are the options there? Because not a lot of people know about that. Well, and that's, if, if you have a 401k, I know there are some people that don't even know that you can take money mm -hmm. from your 401k to actually purchase a home. Yep. Um, there, there is a personal friend of mine that I helped, I helped her buy her first house. Um, it was condo. Um, she was like, you know, I've, I've always wanted to buy a house, but the hardest problem is, is saving money, is getting the money to go, you know, 5% down. I said, well, you actually don't have to do that. We have some first-time homebuyer options. She said, even that's kind of a stretch. But she had $65,000 in a 401k yeah, and was actually able to withdraw that to purchase her first home. And she had no idea that you could even do that. Yeah, and a lot of that, too, my tidbit there is look at your uh, plan details. You can reach yes. out to HR and ask who you need to talk to and who manages all that, but every single account is subject to the actual management kind of fine details. Mm -hmm. So you wanna know the terms of withdrawal, if you will. That's yeah. that's a really big one. But people don't know that you can take a, a lot of people have an option to take a loan out on that. <clears throat> and you're repaying yourself and that loan doesn't hit your credit or your debt to income ratio because it's, a personal loan. Mm -hmm. We see it on the pay stubs. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. Uh, one thing people, you know, don't realize either is, like, uh, for example, I had a client's buying investment property. It was like uh, their second or third investment property last year in Washington, and they had enough money in their mind saved up for twenty five percent down the closing costs and stuff. But as you start to stack properties and and build your portfolio. Um, there are additional stuff that's required, reserves and stuff on the properties. We ended up needing about a hundred grand that they didn't have, and 
really didn't want to, you know, ask a family member for. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to have them go talk to their financial advisor. Um, they were able to pull out of their investments the $100,000 in well knowing that they were actually selling an asset and could replace that money two, three months down the road. And no tax penalties, uh, you know, on their end. They, they checked all that stuff. And it was a great opportunity. So they used their investment portfolio as 100000 to buy this investment property and were able to replenish that with no tax mm -hmm. purposes. That's a really good, really, really, really good point that you do need reserves. So when you start building up multiple properties, most of the mortgage guidelines require you to have X amount of reserves or um, total payments for all the properties mm -hmm. up to anywhere between 6, 12, 18, sometimes 24 months. <clears throat> Depends mm -hmm. on the personal loan product. How many uh, properties you've got. How many properties you have, what property you're buying. So you do need some post-close savings. One thing that just came to mind with retirements and portfolio accounts because a quick rebuttal, I would think right out the jump, is like, oh, Addy, I don't want to sell my stocks. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the business of selling at a loss. <clears throat> I totally agree. I understand yep. it. But also look at your accounts and see how much is allocated to just cash. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people aren't 100% invested in bonds or stocks. Great There's a lot of just cash thing. Yeah, 300000 in the account. Not doing anything. invested. 100 is liquid cash. Yeah. yeah, so look at those statements. See if there's a little Switzerland in oh, yeah. there that's why that you can pull from. That's why you want to call your financial mm -hmm. advisor, you know, or whoever is, in, you know, running your investments for you. Yeah. H HR, if you don't mm -hmm. have a personal advisor or anything. The last deal on down payment and getting that money. Getting that money. When you're buying a primary residence, you can do what? Ask your family. <laughs> for money. <laughs> so gift funds are eligible for purchasing a primary residence. Yes. And there's no cap yes. on that. It can be all the down payment and the closing costs. The requirement is it needs to be a legitimate family member, and they need to sign something called a gift letter, which is an attestment to the fact that it is a true gift and not a loan. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why they do that is, you know, Lenders don't want to be in the business of small family court. Yeah. So that kind of alleviates any sort of post-closing dilemma of, oh, Grandma Susie's coming back. You owe me this. So like, they're just going to show that little paper. This was a gift. Hey, uh, you signed you this. Said signed. This was yep. a loan. No changing, Aunt Susie. You're in it to win it. Besides <laughs> I thought the, it was Grandma. Besides the gift letter. <laughs> did I change it? <laughs> Susie, Aunt Grandma Susie. Yeah. yeah. You got to have the money. You got to have the money. <laughs> we, but those are you three have to ways. You have the money. Um, and depending on the loan, lender may need to look at the bank statements to ensure that you have the money. Mm -hmm. It's got to be legitimate. It's got to be legit. I mean, you can't just throw the cash in there, guys, and then give it to somebody. Yeah, there is something called the U.S. Patriot Act. Yeah. You know, every dollar needs, be, needs yeah. to be accounted for. Laundering, it know. just can't be blood, blood money. Yeah. Blood diamonds. No blood diamonds. No blood diamonds. Money, cash, mattress, money, all that stuff. None of that's yep. good. So let's segue to our second bucket, mm -hmm. which is income. Because a lot of the times people think <laughs> or have food. no idea what it takes. We to, got the cash to buy. We got the cash. Yep. But I don't now have can enough we afford it? income. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bummer. Yeah. You could be a uh, Uber driver. That takes two years history. Yeah, I don't want to get too on, on the chat here. We <laughs> yeah, do this all day we long. We do this all day. Here's the most common thing with the clients that I'm dealing with, because I primarily focus on out-of-state relocation. So I have people coming all across the United States to the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times right now, especially over the last six to 12 months, they don't want to sell their home, just as we're talking, right? Mm -hmm. So they 
go this strategy and I help people through this. They actually execute a rental agreement on the house that they're leaving. So they get tenants lined in at, excuse me, fair market value, right? Fair market value. Then they go buy another home. And what that does is we can actually take 75% of the lease amount on a monthly basis to reduce that liability or the payment of that mortgage. So your buying power on the next home completely opens up, right, Scott? Absolutely. Because if you think about it, 75% 75% of that rent is going to offset a large portion of that mortgage, hopefully. There are situations where it doesn't if you've got a really expensive mortgage, but um, being able to offset that mortgage payment really frees you up to to basically get that other debt that you're going to accrue, that new first mortgage. So right. if you're making a good amount of money, you're offsetting your previous mortgage, you're you're going to stand a better shot at qualifying for purchasing that that new house. Yeah, like the quick math is like say exactly. your 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 mortgage payments 2000 a month. Yep. Let's say you rent it out for 2000 a month. Yep. You get 75%, which is 1500. So instead of in your mortgage loan application being hit for 2000 a month, you're hit at 500. That is massive, massive, massive. In terms of buying power, that's close to $300,000 in buying power for the next home, all from the rental agreement strategy, which we are doing all the time. That $1,500 you've offset is now $1,500 in that it can be in your new mortgage payment. Your new mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Opens the window Opens wide it. up. So a couple of quick things. You can't inflate it. No. So there's guidelines pretty much saying, oh, I can't rent it out for 10000 bucks," and then now I'm like really expanding my buying power. The only way you can actually have positive cash flow through a rental agreement is when you've executed it with supporting tax returns. Mm-hmm. So you're actually filing the rents. Yeah. The lease agreement, which you would do after getting an accepted offer on your new home, doesn't have any supporting tax statements. Right. So they just use the 75%. So there are shut loopholes on that inflation piece because yeah. I know a lot of our and, audience and is creative out there. Their, yeah, their gears yeah, are spinning. I'm going to rent it for 10 grand a month. It's 950 square foot, one bedroom, yeah. one bed. It's not yeah. happening. And the underwriters and, will look up the property yeah. and they'll look for surrounding rents. 100%. And call BS if it's BS. They'll also look on Zillow and look at, Zillow you know, rents and, and realtor. if you don't have a renter in place or a lease ready to go, you'll, you can have done what's called a market rent analysis through the appraisal as well which they will look at surrounding comparable investment rental properties and tell you what a similar rent is going for, and you'll use that. So there is no getting around or fluffing it. I forget about that approach, but the one thing I don't like about that approach, and I don't want to get too far off track, is you're leaving it up to the appraiser, appraiser, which is better to have your own, your own like for sure thing. But every but, circumstance different. Like, yeah, I moved yeah, people yeah, from Hawaii, and when you're moving from the islands all the way to Portland, Oregon, you might not have a renter set up. You might right, not right. have that in place. And that's a good of, point. At the end of the day, you will be able to get rent, one shape or form, lease or no lease. Absolutely. On that. Well, the, the fantastic thing about that too, another thing to consider is when you rent that property out, if you, even if you're only getting seventy five percent right, mm-hmm. and you have that five hundred that's going to hit you, there's still your renters are paying that mortgage. Your equity position is still growing right. in that property. So you're actually accumulating wealth. I mean, that's one yep. of the best ways to do it is with investment properties. Well, that's why we're preaching it not, you know, keeping the property and not selling it off, right? Mm-hmm. Like build your wealth. This is your time, your opportunity. You get one life, only one. Mm-hmm. Stack it, right? Absolutely. I love that. Let's round out the income bucket. And just, this is kind of a blanketed one, but it is important. 
a lot of the times people just think, oh, I got approved for this much last time. I'm out of funds or like, you know, they have these preconceived calculations of what they can get approved for. But there are bonus and OT over time. Mm-hmm. I wanted to explain what OT is. <laughs> yeah. Over time. Just in over, case. Over yeah. time. But here's the thing. This can work for you or against you. Yes. Right, Scott? Yes. Break down how bonus and overtime income is calculated and how it can help and then how it might even hurt people right now. So if you, if when you qualified for your house, mm-hmm. you were working just a ton of overtime or it was a just a banner year, you got a lot of bonus, you know, the last two years, the last 12 Which months. Which is, that's been the situation for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, we were we were in a really hot time, money was going yep. everywhere. Um, now things are kind of slowing down. They've been slowing down. Maybe you're not working as much overtime as when you qualified to buy your house. Maybe you're not getting as much in bonus Bonuses, because, yeah. you know, inflation is up, people aren't buying as much. Maybe you switch jobs. Maybe you switch jobs. That calculation has changed. Right. So really, you know, like when we, we pre-approve people and pre, pre-qualify people, if I haven't talked to you in a few months, I want to get an update. You know, I want to know what's going on. Are you still working as, as much overtime, as much bonus? Because if it's if it's less, that's going to bring your overall income calculation. What's, and what's our standard for overtime and bonus calculation? How many months? You Well, is, are you talking about FHA or conventional? Or do conventional. We want to that? Conventional. Is, either or. So if you're working overtime, we want to we really want to see it over two years. That's what I always say. Yeah, yeah two, two years, years to the twenty four month average, yeah. and it cannot see, be declining. It cannot be declining. There, there is like, I don't know if we want to get super into it. Let's but, not well, get it's, super. It's, into it's it. essentially bonus and OT income is a variable income, which means you can work more o- OT one month and less OT the next month, and get a bonus on the quarterly and and not and. And essentially, you want to look at that from a two-year period. Well, and I don't – I know there's a lot of salespeople who have moved jobs. Like, it's just the economy. You know, maybe your company closed. I would know nothing about that. But if if that does happen, that shouldn't preclude you from trying to get qualified. Because no. if you're in the same line of work, selling the same type of products in the same geographic region or the same market, there's a good chance that we can use that, that information to build a case to try to use that income. There is a really good chance. And I would say – it's different for every situation, but I always default. Say you're like always been a hundred percent commission, whatever. If you move to a brand new job, then you're trying to buy a home at worst, at worst, if you're consistent on the income an underwriter, usually from my experience is going to default to six months where they say, Hey, everything looks great. I just want to see you at this company for six months. I've seen it less, but that seems to be the default. Would you agree? I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and you want to see like where you run into problems. Um, I know like for, for one example is um, uh, people who sell medical equipment. So if you're selling medical equipment, right, you're in that same general kind of field. You've been selling medical equipment for 10 years. You just changed jobs. You're still selling medical equipment. That We want to see you selling the same type of thing in the same region because if you've had success there, you probably have contacts in that region is the thought. And you can sell that product, you know that product. If you're selling cars and then you go to selling medical equipment and you have no history of selling yeah. medical equipment, <clears throat> yeah, it's we're different. probably not going to be able to use yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they want to look at, I mean, even for me personally, like we, I just switched, you know, companies in uh, November. Uh, yeah, November. And we just closed on our house in January. So they had to look at, you know, that history and they probably defaulted to 12 months or right, something right, right. like that average. <clears throat> 
but you know, hundred percent commission, variable income, company change. Yep. They're all things that go into, you know, you're qualifying for yeah. sure. And every situation is different. Is, is how different. much you have in your savings, what's your credit score, how much down payment, the, all these other things. The positive right? is <clears throat> if you're getting overtime or bonus income, that's additional income yeah. that we can use to help a client, you know, possibly qualify for more. And we're gonna want to look at it and bring it in because it's a benefit to the client. The flip side is if you've been used to receiving that and now you don't receive it or it's not as consistent as it as it used to be and that income now you cannot use, that's where it hurts you. You yep. know, maybe you've been qualifying with thousand dollars over time in the past. Now you only have two hundred dollars average. Mm -hmm. Yep. Another thought, and I kinda wanna <clears throat> conclude on this boy, because we're running out of time. Co-signer or spouse that might not have their name on the house that they're currently living in. Mm -hmm. So like a strategy my wife and I took and still take is house number one you buy, put it under person number one's name. And then you completely open up the buying power for the spouse to buy the next home because the mortgage isn't under that spouse's yep. credit. Yep. So you can actually just take the carpooling on this whole thing mm -hmm. if the spouse isn't on that first home loan. Yeah. But you would say that's important in Oregon, right? Because community property True. states are going to have different. Works in Oregon. Works, Works in, Oregon. in Oregon. You can take that You're to right. the bank. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> I like that though. And that, but does that, does that work? They're on title though. Not on loan. Not on title. Not on 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 title. Yeah, because so there's no right, right. Well, they're not, they're not yeah. actually liable for yep. the liability for the mortgage itself. So uh, actually, what Addy's talking about is very popular. Yeah, uh, in Oregon, I like it. In Oregon, in Oregon, I forget this is a national podcast. And you take yeah. that to the bank. But yeah. hopefully, these tidbits and breakdown of buckets. How do I get the money? What do I need to know about the income? Yeah. Really assist with bringing some clarity. If you are trying to figure out how to buy your next home without selling the one that you're currently in, so huge topic today. For Big. Sure. These are a majority of our conversations. And once again, everyone, we're going to land the plane here. Thank you so much for listening to MLO. And until next time, everyone, we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Check you next time.